0: Hello and welcome to Mrs. Calhoun's process of care. Join me as we go week by week through the dental hygiene process of care. Come join the fun. All right, good afternoon. This is chapter 46 The Pregnant Patient and Infant. Now, as you all know, this is my Real house this is what I really enjoy teaching about. So um, let's go on. Um, for the midterm, things that I would really try to focus on is that, um, you know, your fetal development, know that um, you have your first trimester, uh, your second and third trimesters, um, and then factors that could affect your fetus, right? So Remember that in your first trimester, all organ systems are formed. Uh, organogenesis is what that is called. Um, and during, uh, and by twelve weeks, the fetus moves and swallows. So you're, um, you know, just knowing what's going on in, in that first trimester, in that first twelve weeks, the oral cavity develops, um, including the teeth, lips, and palate. Tooth buds develop, develop between the fifth and sixth week. Um, lips uh, form during the 4th and 7th, and then um, the palate forms between the 8th and 12th week. Cleft lip is apparent by the 8th week. Cleft palate is by the 12th week because, remember, the, the lips form between 4 and 7, and the palate forms between 8 and 12, so by the time you get to 8 weeks, you would know if the lip is not forming, and by the time you get to 12 weeks, you would, you would know if the palate is not forming. Um, is not forming. Um, your second trimester is, you know, by all, by what the book is saying, um, the second trimester is the ideal, ideal time for dental treatment. Um, but it is safe to have all dental work, um, you know, especially dental cleanings uh, done be- during the whole time during pregnancy. Um, drugs of abuse and dependence, which is underneath our, um, our fetal development is, um, you know, it, it, it explains an increased risk for reduced birth weight, spontaneous abortion, prenatal deaths, and sudden infant death syndrome. And by, you know, explaining it's the um, pregnancy is an ideal time to motivate parents uh, or patients to quit smoking and to avoid harmful substances. So explaining how these things are harmful and and the, they can increase the um the risk of birth defects um you know and a, a spontaneous abortion um prenatal deaths and sudden infant death syndrome. Um, when we are discussing herbal herb herbal dietary supplements, um, several supplements um, have treatment implications. Echinacea uh, is used for an upper respiratory infection. It activates cell-mediated immunity, and it may cause allergic reactions, decrease effectiveness in immunosuppressants, and immunos um, and immunosuppression um, with long-term use. So it's really important that you know we keep that off. And then valerian is another. Um, herbal supplement, um, used for insomnia and stress, it has a sedative effect and there's possible risks also associated when administering local anesthetics. So you don't want, um, so if you have a patient who is on Valerian, you want to make sure that you're, you know that for their local anesthesia reasons. Oral findings that are found during pregnancy, gingival conditions, there's an increase in gingival inflammation as, um, it is well-documented as a phenomenon uh, occurring during pregnancy and may occur because of the following. Number one, increased circulation levels of estrogen and progestone hormones during pregnancy, immunologic alterations that are pregnancy-induced during um, because of a weaken, the weakening of the mother's cell-mediated immune response, and then exaggerated response of the tissues to dental biofilm. Um, and local irritants. Um, gingival enlargement is a possibility with during pregnancy. It is referred to as pregnancy epulis or granuloma gravidarum, pregnancy granuloma, or pregnancy tumor. It's just an overgrowth of tissue. It's like a granulation tissue that, is, that a, a term, um, happens when you become pregnant. Um, patient positioning is important when we are dealing with our pregnant patients. Remember, um, we, we want them um, to be supine, but the weight of the developing fetus in the uterus can bear down directly on major blood vessels. So um, it is important that we turn them on their left side um, for, for that. Um, appointment adaptations for prenatal patients. Um, nausea and vomiting is a characteristic, um, of, you know, people get nausea when they're, um, pregnant. And so this, um, it is important for oral hygiene implications that we avoid tooth abrasion. Uh, don't brush immediately after vomiting. We want to rich generously with a fluoridated water or a water with a teaspoon of sodium bicarbonate, which is baking soda, um, that kind of mixture after vomiting to neutralize the mouth's acid, uh, acid levels on the teeth. Um, let's see. Um, jumping over to patient instructions and dietary needs during pregnancy. Vitamins, especially vitamin D for calcium and metabolism. Folate to prevent neural tube defect and low birth weight. So it's important that we have vitamin D and folic acid, and that is why, or folate is, is, is to prevent neural tube defects. And if you remember neural tube defects causes things like spinal bifida. Um, so jumping all the way over to infant oral care, um, a smear layer of um, approximately a size, um, of grain of rice, a fluoridated toothpaste is is advised for an infant up to three years of age. Um, So what I like to tell the parents is to literally just touch the toothbrush to the toothpaste so that you're getting just a little bit like that smear layer, just a little thin layer on the toothpaste. I mean on the toothbrush. The use of fluoride supplements um, can begin at the age of six months and that is all determined on if you are living in a non fluoridated area. Feeding patterns. Um, when you're looking at um, dietary habits for children, it is important to determine the frequency and the method of feeding. So are they, you know, the more times you have little feedings throughout the day, the higher increase. Now, granted, babies eat a lot. So birth to a year old, um, you know, for the first 6 months they're pretty much on a liquid diet and we just want to make sure that we're not giving them anything that has um sugar in it like sugary beverages now milk and um formula have their own type of um uh you know lactose but um it doesn't that doesn't mean that it is going to um affect the oral cavity but it's because they don't have teeth usually until they're 6 months old but it is imperative that we wipe them to get them used to that Problems with feeding and sleeping. This is where the issue really comes into effect. When an infant falls asleep after sucking or or milk collects around the teeth, it causes demineralization. And that is just because, like I said, once the the child gets their, um, their bacteria, whether they get it from their mom or their caregiver, you know, however they get it, whenever they get that bacteria, and then you turn around and, um, and they they sit pulling that milk or formula around their teeth depending on the type of formula i mean the type of bacteria in their mouth is going to determine whether or not they're going to their minerals are going to be um cause demineralization some parents will tell you every day that they never wipe their baby's mouth and they never had a cavity other kids do have cavities and we know that non nutritive sucking okay the use of pacifiers has been shown to decrease the incidence of SIDS, and that is really important. So, I'll, you know, and it's good to use an orthodontic um, pacifier. One of the things that is really imperative that we tell parents is that they are not cleaning the, um, the pacifier with their own mouth um, because of the fact that you are, you are able to transfer bacteria from the mother to the child at that point or the father, you know, just don't do that. Components of the first dental visit. A first dental visit is recommended at the eruption of the first tooth, but no later than twelve than than one year or twelve months. One of the major reasons for this first visit is to establish a dental home. And that is really, really important. And that is all we have to focus on really with chapter 46. I will be right back with 47. All right, pediatric patient. Pediatric dentistry is a specialty um, that focuses on primary and comprehensive preventative and therapeutic oral care for infants and children through adolescents, including patients with special health care needs. It requires two years of additional residency training after the required four years of dental school. Strictly focusing on infant, children, teens, and children with special needs. The organization that focuses on um, with pediatric dentistry is the AAPD or the American Academy of Pediatric Dentistry. Um, children, as a patient, they are infants are zero to one years of age. Toddlers are one to three. Preschoolers are three to five years of age. Um, school age kids um, are six to eleven, and then adolescents are twelve to seventeen. Uh, young adults are your 18 to 21, and they do some some continue to go to the pediatric dentist until they're well into their um, 21 years of age. The American Academy of Pediatric Dentistry describes or defines dental home as an organized, uh, I mean, an ongoing relationship between the dentist and the patient, inclusive to all aspects of dental um, health care. Delivered in a comprehensive, continuously accessible, coordinated, and family-centered way. Um, One out of ten two-year-olds, toddlers, already have one or more cavities. I feel like that is so sad that that is a number that exists. Barriers to dental care. Um, the availability of dental providers which accept patient's insurance, a geographic area, office hours, and willingness to see children is, is huge. Um, there's a financial burden. There's the lack of parental oral health literacy and the importance of oral health. There can be language barriers and transportation barriers. Um, the purpose for children to go to the dentist is to establish rapport, teach appropriate behaviors, and prevent management problems. Um, the later you go, the I feel like that there's more of a fear factor there. Initiate and strengthen positive, age-appropriate preventative measures, such as fluoride usage, appropriate nutritional practices, and um, daily biofilm removal. Um, it is usually common for children to see the dentist every six months, but if they have a high caries rate, sometimes four, every four months is a good idea to keep the biofilm down. Um, it is uh good to have children have naps earlier in the morning um so that or i mean to see their provider early in their morning and not affect their not let it affect their their nap schedule um there are several different consider patient management considerations when seeing different um, Children, toddlers, zero to three years old, sometimes a three year old will hop in the chair, no problem. But nine times out of 10, you're going to have to do what is called a knee to knee positioning. Um, and then uh, for preschoolers, you know, you want to make their visit as pleasant as possible. You want to avoid terms like pain, hurt, don't be scared. Y- you kind of want to encourage them that this is a fun place and not um, not a scary place. Obviously at in toddler, I mean uh, preschool parent involvement is big, whereas in toddler you're you're primarily going to be talking to the parent about health care where it, I mean their oral health where care for. Um let's see. I'm gonna jump over to prevention, which is number, it looks like number eight under the components of a dental hygiene visit. So the components of a dental hygiene visit are uh, initial interview, new patient visit, child and family history. You wanna make sure you get the mom and dad's dental history as well as um, the child's dental history. Um, intraoral and intraoral examination. Um, you are going to look at their developing dentition, their occlusion, their TMJ. All of those things are part of your um, assessments. You're not gonna do a periodontal evaluation because that's, they're too young for that. But, um, and then you'll do your radiographic assessments. um, You'll do dietary counseling um, and then any type of dental hygiene treatment. Um, There is, if there is the presence of calculus, obviously you wanna go ahead and remove that. Um, Fluorosis is, um, occurs as a result of excessive fluoride ingestion during tooth formation. So that would happen when the child was either in utero and the mom had too much fluoride or while they were, you know, really, really young and they were getting too much fluoride or or eating too much fluoride. I mean, it can happen if you live in a high fluoridated water area and you don't know it. Um, Enamel fluorosis and primary teeth fluorosis can only occur when the teeth are forming. You cannot get fluorosis once the teeth are in your mouth. Um, Periodontal risk assessment. We'll do a gingival and periodontal evaluation. Uh, Usually middle school is when we really start to do that. We look for any type of periodontal infections because um, they can get uh, fistulas because of um, uh, infected teeth uh biofilm induced gingivitis is obviously the incidence and severity may increase during puberty because of the hormonal changes um when we are talking about early childhood caries the primary um the so early childhood caries is ECC and it's the presence of one or more decayed non-cavitated or cavitated lesion missing tooth due or a filled tooth surface in the primary dentition of any child under the age of six. Um, it is a multifactorial, um, excuse me, etiology, the frequency, the tooth adherence of the specific bacteria, primarily the mutan streptococci, which is MS, that metabolizes sugar to produce the acid that over time demineralizes the tooth structure. So that is important to know. All right, um, jumping over to predisposing factors. Obviously, um, placing a bottle or a sippy cup in the bed, as we talked about earlier, is not a good, um, that's a predisposing factor. Um, the effects, the maxillary teeth and the primary molars are the first to be affected when for um, for early childhood caries or um, because of using the sippy cup or, or nighttime feeding. And the demineralization or white spots may be noted along the cervical thirds of the maxillary anterior teeth and the proximal surfaces of the um, when the lower lip is lifted. So that's why it's really important that we take a look underneath that lip. Anticipatory guidance is the process of providing um, practical developmentally appropriate information about children's health to prepare parents for the significant Physical, emotional, and psychological milestones that they will go through. Um, talking about um, anticipatory guidance, there is um, dietary and feeding pattern recommendations. There's oral health considerations and toddler for toddlers and preschoolers. There's speech and language language development issues. There is digital habits such as prolonged thumb or finger-sucking um, that have been associated with narrowing um, maxillary arch width, anterior crossbite, posterior crossbite, increased overjet and decreased overjet. Um, accident and injury prevention, halitosis and malodor, oral health considerations for adolescents, and then tobacco, obstructive sleep apnea, piercings, and substance abuse are all anticipatory guidance issues. Um, When treatment planning, the dental hygienist diagnosis is used to develop the dental hygiene care plan. We'll talk about that more in the second half. Before treatment, the care plan is discussed with the dentist to integrate the dental hygiene plan into a comprehensive dental treatment plan. So make sure you have medical clearance and parents approval for everything. All right. All right, chapter 48, the older adult patient. Okay, so um, aging, there are biological and chronological age, right? Um, Young, old adults are between 65 and 74. Old, old adults are between 75 and 84. Oldest, old adults between 85 and, and older. Sanitarians are over 100 and super sanitarians are 110. Biological age is not synonymous with chronological age. Signs of aging appear at different chronological ages in different individuals. Aging is a process with many physiological changes, and a person can be biologically old at 65, where others can be physically fit at 75. So those were Normal psychological aging. Um, there, you know, you end up having, um, normal changes with aging are are physiological. So you can have musculoskeletal, uh, the the, the musculoskeletal, system, um, cardiovascular system, respiratory system, gastrointestinal system, uh, central nervous system, peripheral nervous system, sensory system endocrine system, and your immune system all can begin to have a little bit of a diminishing um, as you, those are your normal physiological aging factors. So your musculoskeletal system, bone uh, volume, or your mass, decreases gradually after the age of 40. The loss of muscle function diminishes muscular strength and speed of response. Your curvature of your cervical vertebrae due to a decrease in bone density and atrophic changes in cartilage and muscle. And then your joints may start to stiffen because of a loss of elasticity in the ligaments. Your cardiovascular system, there's a deep, there could be a decline in your cardi- uh, cardiac output, minimal increase in the size of the left ventricle wall. Um, your lumen could start to decrease um, because of, of, blockage. In your respiratory system, vital capacity of progressively, um, is progressively diminishing, leading to a decrease um, efficiency of oxygen carbon dioxide exchange. your GI system, your gastrointestinal system, the production of how, how hydrochloric acid and other secretions gradually decrease. Your central nervous system, intellectual or cognitive function, starts to slow, but is not lost. These are those, those normal physiological changes. Um, your peripheral nervous system, you start to get a decrease in, text, in tactile sensitivity. Your sensory system, um, age-related vision changes begin, hearing changes begin. So, you know, like I, again, I said these are your normal normal things that happen. In your endocrine system, there's a decrease in thyroid efficiency um, and then a decrease basal metabolic rate. Your immune system declines with age among individuals with a decrease, with a degree of uh, decline varies greatly. So there's, you know, there is varying of greatness. And then cognitive change. You um, can just, dis- this can distract an individual's attention away from their daily activities. Older patients struggle with numerous demands, which can affect the ability to function, especially the ability to concentrate. Pathological and, uh, pathology and disease. I am tired today, guys, I'm sorry. Pathology and disease, factors that increase disease. An older patient's health status is influenced by many factors. They can be um, influenced by biological, environmental, um, psycho, uh, psychosocial, psychologic or lifestyle factors um, that, in, that influence the long, longevity of um, uh, in disease. So know that, know that Alzheimer's disease, um, there is dementia is a severe impairment of cognitive abilities, notably thinking, merit, memory and judgment. Alzheimer's disease is a non-reversible type of dementia and the most common of all types of dementia. Um, The etiology is early onset is rare, but reported in individuals in their 30s and 40s. Late onset is most common, and that is people that are 65 years of age. Um, There are um, five different, uh, sorry, sorry, seven different stages of Alzheimer's. There's your stage 1 which is your normal function no memory problems stage 2 is very mild um stage uh 3 is um mild whereas stage 4 is moderate you're able to clearly detect that there is a problem um they're forgetting events and personal history moderately severe is noticeable lapse in memory severe is where the memory worsens um you observe d- difficulties with um recalling recent experiences, changes in sleep pattern, they wander around easily, and then very severe is the loss of ability to respond to an environment. They cannot carry on a conversation or easily control movement. Um, observable difficulties include eating, using the restroom, um, smiling, holding an, a head upright or swallowing. There's no proven treatment for um, Alzheimer's or um, dementia um osteoarthritis is the most common form of arthritis and involves a progressive loss of articular cartilage management of the patient with arthritis is discussed in more detail in chapter 52 we will um and we kind of already talked about that so um osteoporosis so that's osteoarthritis osteoporosis is a bone disease involving the loss of mineral content and bone mass um so other um diseases so we talked about arthritis or um memory loss so alzheimers we've talked about um these are chronic conditions associated with aging Alzheimer's, osteoarthritis, osteoporosis, sexually transmitted diseases. um, There's been an increase in new HIV cases in people over 50 years old. I fear that it is because of the fact that they feel that they are, you know, they've made it this far. They're never going to have problems with it now. It's the most common um, uh, STD um, in this demographic and this aging population is AIDS and HIV. Um, The... um, other common STDs include chlamydia syphilis, HIV, uh, general herpes, gonorrhea, HPV um, they're and like I said, they're on the rise in the older population they're, they're uh, the, the people that grew up in the 60s and are free loving and you know hippies are now still free loving it in their old age. I'm just passing it around. Um, respiratory disease is a, um, another chronic issue. It's in older adults, are at higher risk of respiratory disease. Um, Age-related disorders of respiratory system is pneumonia, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, also known as COPD, and asthma. You know, we monitor their vital signs and we want to adjust seating for those respiratory patients. Um, Cardiovascular disease is a common disease of death for older patients, um, you know, that are over 65. Age-related disorders of cardiovascular system include arteriosclerosis and atherosclerosis, um, hypertension, uh, pastoral hypertension, angina, myocardial infarction, uh, congestive heart failure, heart valve disease, transient ischemic attack, which is a mini-stroke, um, cerebrovascular accident, which is a stroke, um, dental hygiene management considerations would be to monitor blood pressure and discuss lifestyle ch- changes. Oral changes associated with aging. Okay, so this is a lot of this, the stuff that we we need to really know. So, lips. Angular chelitis is not specifically an age-related lesion, but it's seen more frequently in the older adults Etiology um, may be candida because of the fact that it's a it's a moist area, but sometimes it's dry and so you end up with like a yeast infection in there. That is what it, candidas is and a vitamin B deficiency. Oral mucosa, you get atrophic changes and this is the tissue may become thinner and less vascular with a less elasticity and the smooth, shiny appearance is related to the thinning of the epithelium. Um, hyperkeratinosis is the white patchy appearance on the tissue. It may develop because of irritation to sharp edges of broken teeth, restorations, things like that. And then um, capillary fragility is facial bruising, and petechiae of the mucosa are very, very common. Um, for the tongue, you can have atrophic glossitis, which is that burning tongue. It is uh, It appears shiny and smooth and bald with uh, atrophied papillae. Um, Taste sensations. Taste buds are slower. Um, acuity of their uh, perception for salt declines with age. Perception of sweet and sour does not decline with age. Um, sublingual vario- very very uh, very varicosities. Sorry. Um, this is clinical appearance is red. Deep bluish nodular uh, dilated vessels on the undersurface of the tongue on the ventral, uh, yeah, the ventral surface of the tongue at the midline, on either side of the midline. Um, And in the older patients, if you have them put their tongue on their roof, their mouth, you'll be able to see that. Xerostomia. Um, This is dryness of the mouth. Um, It is characterized by an absence or diminished quality of saliva, which we I'll know about this, and, and now we know how to um, check to see this consistency of our saliva. So um, it is very prevalent in older adults, primarily because of the fact that they are usually on a lot of systemic medication, which um, provide the most common you know, reasons, Um, autoimmune disorder like Sorge's syndrome or rheumatoid arthritis or systemic lupus. If they're diabetics, again, all these patients may be on medications that cause xerostomia and if you have head and neck radiation. Clinical symptoms of xerostomia is just this feeling of oral dryness, the tongue sticks to the palate, difficulty with chewing and swallowing and speech. All right, oral candida is associated with the use of antibiotics, um, uh, head and neck radiation therapy, chemotherapy, steroid use, and other immunosuppressive drugs. Um, so that is um, that is a very common, candida is very common in the older population. Um, teeth. So as we age, our teeth get darker as a result of the changes in the underlying dentin. The color changes result from a long, you know, can result from a long use of tobacco or beverages such as tea and coffee. But dark intrinsic stains are from, you know, can be from dental restorations. Sometimes you'll see like older people and their teeth almost look like the color of butter. They're so yellow. And it's because they're they're almost like their dentin becomes thicker in there because the pulp chambers end up um, narrowing. And so um, it, it just increases that um, deposition of the secondary and tertiary dentin. Attrition, signs of wear, which may be uh, long-term effects of diet, occupational factors, and bruxism. It can be an effect it can be an effect of nor of normal aging. Like it can be, you know, just due to normal aging. Attrition may be accompanied by chipping, or, chipping and teeth may seem more brittle. Um, and when they are like that, like I said, most of the time patients aren't even, if it was to happen to me, I would be sensitive. But um, because that pulp chamber is closing, narrowing, it's um, not as... It's not sensitive. Root caries is extremely prevalent in older adults. Um, uh, And it's because, you know, that they're. We don't talk about fluoride with adults a lot, and and you'll learn this in the real world. They're not really big on it, and it should be. They should be definitely doing fluoride. Um, But just know that that the most common type of caries is root caries in. it's because the root surfaces are usually exposed. Um, they are a rougher surface than the enamel. It's not made, the cementum is not made of crystals and smooth like enamel. It's a little microscopically rough, so therefore biofilm attaches to it a lot easier. When it does attach to it, it ends up re- removing the minerals from that cementum, than causing caries. Because remember, the cementum is nowhere near as thick as the enamel, so it causes those issues. All right. Dental hygiene care for the older adult patient barriers to care. Lack of perceived need is one of the most common reasons why older adults do not seek dental care. They often think that because they're old, they don't need to go to the dentist anymore, but their mouth can affect so much. So it's very, very important. Um, You know. One of the things I remember mentioning in class is that this, the patients don't particularly like to have to be called um, "sweetie" and 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 um, have these terms of endearment. They want to be treated like they're not, you know, little kids. Um, strategies so approach to instruction when we're when we're teaching our older adults because. Um, Remember, they have lived a lot longer than we have, so therefore, we, they, they sometimes don't think that they know everything. So, the strategies to enhance communication with the older patient is, are listed um, in our book. And so, like, before the appointment, we want to schedule extra time for the appointment if need. We want to ask the patient to bring a list of their medications. That really is helpful. During the appointment, we want to make sure we provide a friendly greeting, eye contact, Be an active listener. I mean, we need to be an active listener always, but speak slowly, present information one topic at a time, and use visual aids. Have the patient repeat the instructions to you, and then after the appointment, provide written instructions. That can be extremely beneficial for them. Um, We want to make sure that our patients who are um, vision impaired, that there's adequate lighting, that they're able to see big pictures, big words. Um, the hearing impaired, we, you know, uh, speak distinctly in a normal voice. Um, it's very difficult right now because a lot of people who have lost their hearing like to lip read. So the other day when I was in, um, clinic, I had a patient who was, she says, I can't hear you. And so I just took my mask down and let her, and then she could completely understand, um, when patients have hearing aids, it's beneficial, especially if you're gonna use like uh, the magnetostrictive or the piezo, that you, that you let them know because those high-pitched decibels can, can sometimes affect their, their ears. Um, we want sl- um, slowing of voluntary responses. Um, we wanna make sure we make suggestions gradually and over a series of appointments. Don't try to change everything in one appointment. We want um, you know, to be realistic and practical with the expectations and go slow, anticipate the difficulties and give cues and clues, distinguish between slowness of learning and the inability to learn, and then lower the pitch of your voice. Um, patients who have memory difficulties, we wanna provide written instruction, give the instructions to a caregiver or provide repeated reinforcement. Um, Apparent frustration with diminished functional abilities. Um, acknowledge the frustration and retain posi- a positive attitude. And then if they're depressed, I mean, it's it's hard. We we are trying our best to provide the best care possible, and it's hard for them to to really um, accept. You know, uh, again, patient a patient that was in our office the other day uh, did not want to. Um, Uh, he did not want to walk with his walker and it was a quite a scary walk down the hallway. I didn't, I wasn't sure he was going to make it, but he did. It was very good. Um, diet and nutrition for the older adult. Um. Dietary and resulting nutrition deficiencies are common in older people. Characteristic changes such as burning tongue, angular chelitis, and atrophic glossitis may be a result of vitamin B deficiency. So please remember that vitamin B deficiency can cause um, some of those issues, the glossitis, the angular chelitis, atrophic um, glossitis in our elderly patients. All right, I'll be back with Chapter 49. All right. Things to focus on with. Chapter 49, patients with cleft lip or cleft palate. All right. So know the different classes. Class one is your um, cleft in the tip of the uvula. That's just class one. Class two is a cleft of the uvula. So the whole uvula, it's a bifed uvula. That is a, a um, cleft lip, cleft, pa, or a cleft palate, excuse me. Class three, cleft of the soft tissue. Cleft four is a cleft of the soft tissue and the hard palate. Class five is a cleft of the soft and hard palates that continues through the alveolar ridge on one side of the premaxilla. Class 6 is when it goes through the soft palate, hard palate, and then it goes on both sides um, of the premaxilla, um, creating a bilateral cleft uh, lip and palate. Um, And then class 7 is the submucosal cleft, um, in which the muscle union is imperfect across the soft palate. The palate is short. um, The uvula is often bifid. Um, a groove is situated at the midline of the soft palate, and closure to the pharynx is inc- um, incompetent. So, cleft lip and cleft palate are the most common of the many types of congenital craniofacial anomalies. Cleft lip and cleft palate may occur as isolated conditions, but frequently occur as part of a syndrome with other birth defects. Um, the, there's an interdisciplinary team of medical and dental providers that that um, are required to provide adequate treatment and family counseling to um, to uh, patients that are cleft lip, cleft palate. The etiology, I already talked about the classifications there. Let's talk about the etiology. Um, embryology. We learned this um, in uh, one eleven. Cleft lip and palate present as a failure of normal fusion of embryonic process during development in the first trimester of pregnancy. I um, said earlier, cleft lip, you determine by eight weeks, cleft palate by 12 weeks. Um, and uh, you the formation of the lip occurs the f- fourth to eighth week. So by the eighth week, it is apparent if there is a cleft lip. And for the palate, it's six to 12 weeks. So by the 12th week, it is, um, or the third month, it is determined that there could be a cleft palate problem. Like I said, it is a multifactorial genetic and environmental factors that can be significant. It's rarely a single factor and can be found as a specific um, cause of the cleft. There's geographically, cleft lip cleft palate is most common in Asian and American Indian children. African children are the least likely to have cleft lip cleft palate or clefts. Family history and genetics, present or past members of family increase the risk as, as well as increased maternal age, um, alcohol and tobacco use, uh, folic acid, vitamins, or zinc if you have a deficiency in that, medication intake during pregnancy, uh, teratogens, ter- excuse me, agents including phenotonin, uh, vitamin A, corticosteroids, or drug abuse. Exposure to pesticides, lead, um, organic solvents, and lack of adequate prenatal care are all reasons. Um, Physical characteristics, general physical characteristics, um, you know, they have the facial deformity, you know, whether it's the lip or the palate. And then um, they can, they are predisposed to upper respiratory and middle ear infections because when they're little like that, they're all that stuff is connected anyway, but the tubes and everything are smaller. Um, The uh, craniofacial anomalies of the nose and throat area predispose the child with cleft web cleft palate to uh, airway obstruction. And then there's speech issues. Um, There's hearing loss. Um, Tooth development. There is usually a disturbance in the normal development of teeth. it it depends on if they're, you know, the, where the cleft was, if they are missing a tooth there, or if it comes in a different spot. Um, common missing teeth are maxillary lateral incisors, maxillary premolars, max uh, mandibular second premolars, and usually correspond to the side of the mouth that has the cleft, so. Um, an obturator is, uh, the uh, prosthetic palatal um, uh, device that if you have a hole, if there's a hole in the palate that you can put in there to keep fluids from going into the nasal cavity. Um, risk Patients with cleft, left ca- cleft palate are at an increased risk of gingivitis and, and calculus accumulation, usually due to the um, crowdedness of their mouth. Um, Risk factors related to malposition teeth, um, issues with mastication, diet selection, and dental biofilm retention are uh, intensified for a patient with cleft cleft lip and cleft palate. Um, Bone grafting. So when you have cleft lip, cleft palate, or when you have cleft palate, the goals of treatment is to produce an anatomic closure. So they really want to close that up. Um. Bone grafting is used to repair residual alveolar and hard palate clefts. An alveolar graft uh, placed before the eruption of the maxillary teeth um, at the cleft site, it creates a normal architecture um, through which the teeth can erupt. Uh, A need for future prosthetics and replacement of missing teeth is usually reduced. Hard palate graft provides closure of the oronasal uh, fistula and it helps to create the uh, compromise or relieve the compromised airway. Sources for uh, autogenous bone grafts are your rib, your iliac crest, your uh, skull, mandible, and your bone of uh, morphogenic proteins. I already said um, an obturator is a removable prosthetic designed to provide closure in the palatal opening. There are also speech prostheses that help as well. All right, dental hygiene care for our uh, cleft lip, cleft palate patients. Every attempt should be made to avoid the need to remove teeth, especially around the cleft area. In an area already weakened by lack of bone, removal of teeth creates further complications. The presence of teeth encourage optimum uh, arch growth. So it is really important that the teeth are there. and I believe that that is all you need to know about, um, patients with... Okay. Look over your appointment considerations. Your patient's apprehension and self-esteem. Those are, that's a big deal. Communication. Provide motivation for your patients. Those are three things that we need to focus on. Um, speech can be difficult to understand. Hearing, depending on the amount hear, of hearing loss. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, all right. Good luck, you guys. Well, thanks for joining me today. Um, stay tuned for more process of care.